Shabbat Shalom. It is such an honor and a gift to get to be with you all this evening. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Mintz, for, for this invitation. Um, and I want to first thank my son, Kalel, and our dear extended family member, Norma, for requesting to join us tonight. Um, I think it's apropos in what I'd like to share with you in the form of a story and how that relates to what Reimagine End of Life is really all about, as Rabbi Mintz already identified, it's life affirming. What I notice in my work as a hospice and palliative care physician is when we frame our conversations in the context of a known mortality, of end of life, of death, that what actually becomes present is what matters most in life. We give ourselves this unprecedented permission to really engage in the things that bring us the greatest joy. I say unprecedented, and I really should have put an asterisk, because there was a time when we did that wholeheartedly, full body, mind, spirit, and soul, because it was the only thing we knew how to do. And that's when we were the age of Kalel. When we were born, all we know how to do is love life fully. And somewhere along the way, we get complicated. And so I invite, in listening to this story, that really what's happening with reimagine and the intention is to reconnect us with that which we already know, which is our birthright, which is that we get to live every single moment of our life fully through our final exhale, if we so choose. And so I learned to do that by watching my children as well as watching and getting to be with my patients. And so there's one story of one patient I'd like to share. Her name is Lori Cornwall. Um, that's her real name. It's a very real story. And I think it's appropriate um, for tonight in the context of Reimagine because it involves my children. In fact, I'll back up for a moment, or I'll fast forward for a moment, in that Kalel may not remember, but you used to see patients with me. When he was first born, you remember? You, remember, you were four months old. <laughs> you were four months old, and I returned to work, and I had just started practicing hospice medicine. And so, I don't know, how many of you have actually had an experience, a personal experience with hospice care? A lot of you. Was most of that, keep your hands up, was most of that in the home, in private home, yeah. And was that for, keep your hands up, come on, come on. We'll, we'll see. So who had the experience of hospice care with their loved one for hours to days? All right, keep your hands up if this is true for you. For days to weeks, for weeks to months, for six months? Anyone for six months? No one. No. Oh, here's a couple. One, one, two. Just as an aside, a little teaching moment, hospice is designed to provide care for six months or more, not less. But we tend to relate to it as far less. We'll come back to that another time. At any rate, 
Kalel used to come with me when he was first born to see patients when he was four months old. He had no fear over that. And why I raise that is in the context of this week's Torah portion, which I will mispronounce, Tazira Metzora. Okay. Um, I was reading that, and I have to say, you know, this is a phenomenal description of hospital medical care. It, it is unbelievable in that it is mind-boggling complicated. It is absolutely fantastical in some regards as to what you're supposed to do if you, in fact, encounter some inexplicable illness. You know, from putting things on certain thumbs and ankles and head in a particular way. Like, I can't make sense of it. That's modern medicine for the most part. You go into a hospital and it's inexplicable and we do really crazy things that seem like, what? And we forget very quickly why we're doing any of it. And we can get isolated. And yet, when you bring in people like Kalel, you get to the heart of why we're doing this very quickly. So what would happen every time I'd walk into a patient's room, whether it was in their home or a nursing home, is people would smile. In fact, there was one situation where someone was truly unconscious in a coma for weeks. And the family had gathered in preparation for this person to die. And I bring Kalel in, and it was the one rare occasion where he was actually crying. Otherwise, he was just absolutely blissful <laughs> at all times. But on this one occasion, he was inconsolable. And what was I going to do? There was nowhere for me to go. Like, you can't just leave him at the door. You got to bring him in. And I'm apologizing. I'm holding this kid. I'm like dangling my stethoscope in front of him. And what happens? is this unconscious man, no kidding, wakes up, makes direct eye contact with that very young man. And that little man, at the age of four months, made direct contact with this human being. And they stared at each other. They just stared, locked. And this man, the first words he'd spoken in weeks, is that a baby I hear? So there's something powerful here that we know how to be with. So back to Ms. Cornwall. This is before Kalel was born, but I have two other children, and they were about six and seven, and it was right at the high holidays. So they were out of school, and they'd heard me speak about Ms. Cornwall for weeks on end because the amazing thing about her, she had been on the kinder transport during World War II, was separated from her family, and yet, this was not what she spoke of. What she spoke of were the blessings in her life, that when she arrived in England, how she discovered how to make friends, how to play games, and how she would win an egg, and one day she won three eggs. And these were the stories she shared with me as we'd play backgammon. This was my medical therapeutic intervention, was to play backgammon with a woman who had been isolated because of her illness, much like the Torah portion talks about. Now, the Torah portion gives you really discreet things to look for physically, skin manifestations of illness. If you see this, then we need to remove you from society to make it safe for everyone. In Ms. Cornwall's case, 
She was having trouble breathing. She didn't have an infection. It was not a risk to anyone around her. But this society has forgotten how to help take care of people right where they are. And so we start to remove them from society and displace them into loving caregivers' arms, but nonetheless not the community that she grew up in. And this was a vibrant woman. I would walk into her room, her arms were covered in silver bangles, every single finger covered in silver jewelry that would just catch the light as she was playing backgammon by herself, the way someone plays chess by themselves. And when I first met her, and I said, you know, I know how to play backgammon. She said in her British, excuse me, in her German accent, no, you don't. And I said, oh, yes, I do. And she said, prove it and immediately sat down. I hadn't played backgammon for years because the person I played backgammon with my whole life who had taught me was my father, who had died a few years earlier. And after he died, I couldn't play with anyone. It was too upsetting for me. And yet in this moment, that childlike playfulness was an invitation to healing for her and for me. It was bringing community together when we were both isolated in ways that were not able to be seen by others. So I started to play and my children started to hear me talk about her to the point where they said, when do we get to meet her? So as I said, it was high holidays, they were out of school, so I brought them. This is very untraditional medicine, mind you, and I have been reprimanded by people <laughs> for doing that, including my husband, who thought I was putting my children at risk for contagion. I said, I can assure you there's none. But that's, again, sort of our current modern medical way of thinking. My children wanted to be there. They didn't care one bit that there were tubes and noises of machines around her. That was just a curiosity as much as the artwork that she created out of Japanese airline calendars. She did phenomenal collage because after she lived in England, she ended up moving to Japan of all places. And that's where she was reunited with her family. So her whole room was filled with all of these East Asian beautiful artifacts. And so my children would just marvel at every aspect of her, not afraid. And they wanted to learn backgammon. And as children often behave, they know instantly how to do anything, even if they've never been taught. So as they're playing, and Ms. Cornwall's trying to teach, they're like, we just want to play, just play, don't teach, just play. And there they were, as if they'd known each other forever. And we'd play. Ms. Cornwall gave them one of her own backgammon sets so that my children would continue to play at home. And now suddenly, I was playing with my children. She had given me the gift that I couldn't do. It was too sad for me to teach my children backgammon because of my memories of my father. It was too soon for me to do that, but she could do it. And now I could play again with all of them. And then one day I get a call from a nurse with hospice telling me that Miss Cornwall had died. And my children happened to be with me right when I got the call. And they came close. They didn't run away, and I didn't shield it from them. They came close. And 
my younger of the two at the time, was trying to console my daughter who started to cry. Now, mind you, 30 seconds earlier, she was trying to fight with her brother over who knows what, as siblings will do. But in that moment, what mattered most in life brought us close. We loved someone who now had just died. We somehow figured out how to keep moving through the evening. We had dinner, we got ready for bed. Again, these children are of the age where going to bed is not something they covet because life is too sweet and precious. We want every inst you know, minute of it. So they'll do the delay tactics as usual. And so I get this call from my daughter. You know, I need water. My knee hurts. Something to avoid going to bed. And finally, she says one more thing. Mom, and I'm so exasperated and tired and grieving at the time. I'm like, yes, Isabel. Do you think we could say the mourner's cottage tonight? Children guide us. Children know what matters. And each of us has a child inside us. And we just need to reconnect. And that really is all that Reimagine is about. I hope you will come play if you haven't already. And if you have, please come play some more. Thank you so much.